service week in, week out, pouring yourselves out so that we can come to the very throne of God. So uh, some great news to share with you this morning. If we've not met, my name is Chris Carroll, and I am the lead pastor here at Firewall. That's not the great news, by the way. Um, <laughs> the great news is you have me. There you go. No. No, actually, this is a miracle. So last week, uh, we've been praying, and we were praying for Mike Rourke, our elder, one of our elders here at Firewall. And uh, here's what's crazy. So he, he has COVID, and then within a couple of days, he's on life support. I mean, it was just that quick. And um, the, the, the time of prayer, we were spending time at the hospital, and I had the opportunity to go in, and I was fully garbed and had all that stuff, and I'm praying over Mike. And, and this is what the Lord was showing me, like, he's getting up off that bed. Like, I just knew that. I'm like, Lord, you're raising this guy up. This isn't it. And here's what's crazy, because the doctor's report said poor prognosis, or prognosis is poor. I mean, they, that was the trajectory. Like, he is not going to make it. That was the language of the doctor's report. But that didn't make sense because I kept hearing the Lord say, believe. And so we got together last week, and we all came, and we surrounded Lisa and her daughter Maddie, and we prayed over them. And the words that you spoke as a church were, we believe. Y'all remember that? Let's say it together. We believe. That was our prayer request. We believe. John chapter 7, Jesus was asked, like, what work must be done for the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, here's the work. Uh, believe. And so here's what's crazy. A couple days later, get this wonderful text message back from Lisa. He's off life support. He's sitting up in bed, and he's talking. Miracle. Absolute miracle. And, and at first, he was just kind of chicken scratching some stuff along on a whiteboard, and, and he couldn't really figure out what it said. And it was said, like, pray the Lord, praise—he wasn't quite sure. And then it was, oh, pray the Lord's prayer over me. He wanted to be prayed over. And now he's, he's recovering, and he's getting better and stronger by the day. Well, here's another doctor's report. Three to six weeks, and they've got this kind of long, extended journey. And we're going to ask that God just heals him. And he, I want to say something to you as a church. Um— Sometimes we pray, but we expect a no. And, and here's what I mean by that. We pray in such a way to like give God an out, but here's, here's what the Lord's been showing me. We need to pray like every single person we pray over is getting healed. Like we need to pray that way. We need to pray and believe that every person we pray over is getting healed. Not that they will, but we're going to pray that way because what are the options? Are we just going to pray and expect a no? And I'm like, where's the faith in that? You all understand what I'm saying? And so when we pray over somebody, we should pray expecting a yes, but give all of it over to the Lord and His sovereign will. And praise God, according to God's sovereign will, Mike is getting better. And we're going to pray he continues to heal. So with that said, Lord Jesus, we come together, we believe, and we are asking for Mike. We're asking that he would, would recover. We're praying that he gets up off that bed, Lord. And we're praying that this three to six weeks uh, that is being, uh, being given to Mike, well, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you just shorten that. I pray that his body is strengthened. I pray that he is able to get up and, and come back to church and give glory to you for the healing that you're bringing about in his life. Thank you, Lord, for growing our faith to trust you and to believe in you and to turn to you believing that when we do, that you do move in power. And uh, Lord, we just want to give you the glory for it. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's hold our Bibles up. Let's see those Bibles, those beautiful Bibles, or those digital devices, right? Let's hold them up. Okay, so Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to us today. We are opening ourselves. As we open your word, we're opening our hearts. May it fall onto good soil, fertile soil, that it would put down deep roots and produce abundant fruit. All God's people say. Amen. All right, now I'm not sure if you all remember uh, these pictures from back in the day. These were really, really popular, uh, like kind of like in the 90s. Sorry, students, this might, may, you may not relate to this right now, but maybe go look for one. Anyway, it's those pictures that are kind of like abstract, and, and if you just kind of glance at them, you see one thing, but if you really look at the picture, and, and you, well, you don't, can't just look at it, you gotta like kind of like tilt your head, and you like gotta squint your eyes, and, and you gotta kind of like move your head back and forth, and, and rub your tubby, and pat your head, and turn around, and whatever. And all of a sudden, the picture reveals itself. You all know what I'm talking about? If you do, say yeah. Yeah, we're tracking on the same page? Okay. So yeah, 3D. 
That's right, three-dimensional. That's very, that is true, it is a 3D image. So my uncle had one of these hanging at his house, and it was kind of like a blue abstract thing. And uh, if you looked at it, you saw one picture, but if you really like stopped and really looked at it, you'd see a picture hidden beneath. And it was crazy, because as I looked at it, and all of a sudden it turned into that 3D image, it was Jesus, and he was standing there, his hands open. And, and this morning, we're, we're turning to Matthew chapter 13. So get there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 13. Everybody say word. word. Yeah, Matthew chapter 13. And, and what's fascinating about chapter 13 is it's a very distinct shift in Jesus' teaching style. Because up until chapter 13, Jesus has been very clear in his communication, but by chapter 13, things are going to start shifting. And he's going to start concealing the kingdom of God truths and the teaching inside of what are called parables. Parables. And, and the word itself, by the way, parable, it comes from the Greek parabole, and it simply means a story that teaches a spiritual truth. A story that teaches a spiritual truth or a kingdom truth. On the surface, though, it's going to seem just like a series of stories. Like we're going we're to read a story about a couple of farmers, and then there'll be a story about a mustard seed and some yeast, and a story about a great treasure hidden in a field, and a pearl of great price, and a, and a big net being cast into the ocean to catch fish. Like when we hear these stories on the surface, that's all they'll be. But if we really look at them, and we ask for revelation in and through Holy Spirit. We ask for God to illuminate our minds. We're going to be able to peer into these stories. And we're going to draw from them spiritual nutrition for our spiritual life. And this morning, I would argue that what we're going to be looking at is probably the most important parable found anywhere in the scriptures. It is the deciding factor. It is one of those parables where we have to stop and really evaluate our own spiritual life. And it's going to be tempting, right? Because I like to evaluate other people's spiritual lives. Anybody in here like to do that? Come on. Anybody else like evaluating other people's spiritual life? Come on. Nobody? Yeah. Everyone else, you liar. <laughs> Everyone didn't put their hand up. We know the truth. Anyway, look at me evaluating you. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, help us this morning. So you look at... Uh, our own spiritual life. And this is one of those opportunities Jesus is giving us. And so we turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. We get the setting, and, and Jesus is, is going to teach a crowd. We read that same day, which, by the way, when you read stuff like that, you should be like, well, what day is that? Well, it's linking back to chapter 12. Chapter 12, we watched the rejection of the religious leaders. They have turned totally away from Christ, and they're now plotting how they're going to put Jesus to death. And, and then Jesus got with his, his disciples in a home, and he's like, this is my family. And he began to pour more and more of his time into his disciples because he's pr preparing them for his departure. And they would be the church, the foundation of the teaching and the spirit-filled church that would, that would burst onto the scene following the resurrection and Pentecost. And so Jesus is concentrating his time on his, his disciples. But as we open up to chapter 13, we read on that same day, they left the house that they were staying in. Most likely that would have been Peter's house in the city of Capernaum. And they headed down and sat by the lake. Verse 2, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. Now here's a picture. This is a picture of contemporary Capernaum. This right here is a, uh, a resort there on the sea. Now I don't know if this is what it looked like back then, but this is kind of the idea. The crowds were surrounding the shoreline and Jesus kind of pushed off from the shore and it created like a natural amphitheater. So as he talked, his voice was carried across the waters, and he began to deliver a series of stories. And really what we, we could call this chapter is not just a series of parables, but Jesus' sermon from the boat, or Jesus' sermon of parables. Verse 3, then he told them many things in parables. And like I said, he, he begins with what I believe, out of all the parables captured in chapter 13, the most important parable. 
Because it's going to reveal, like, what's beneath the surface in your life? Like, what's really there? And, and how receptive are you to the spiritual leading of God? How, how available are you to God's Word? Are, are you really a person who's going to hear and do, like Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, or are you going to be a person who hears and then doesn't do? Well, the fruit of your life will reveal that. And so with our first parable, Jesus takes us on a field trip. We're going about 2,000 years ago, and we're going to a small family farm in the rural countryside of Palestine, and, and we're going to meet a farmer. Now this farmer is going out into his field. He's doing what he's probably done every single season, year after year. And I, and I want you to get out of your mind like the big giant industrial farms of today, and I want you to think rural. And, and there's a farmer, and he's got, I don't I'm just imagining a farmer hat. I'm not a farmer. I don't, I don't know a lot of farmers, but they have farmer hats, right? They have a hat, and then they got this farmer bag, and he's like reaching in, he's grabbing his farmer seeds. Anyway, I just feel like I'm telling like a, a little nursery rhyme. Anyway, so he goes out, and he starts scattering his seed. Uh, verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And still others fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so what Jesus gives us is the picture of what happened when a farmer walked through his field. And I'm kind of imagining as Jesus is teaching this particular parable to the crowd on the shore, that it was probably the time of sowing. Like, I get the image in my mind of people just on their way to the lake seeing sowing happening in fields. And as a farmer sowed, seed got scattered, and it landed on different types of soil in the field. I love this picture. So this kind of captures the four different soils where the seed would land. You'd have the, the hard path, which was essentially the footpath, that the farmer would walk along and throw seed. Any seed that landed on the footpath, would what would happen to it? It would get eaten by birds, right. So then you had the stony ground, which was the kind of the stone that would circle a field and kind of keep it within its boundaries. And any seed that landed there would quickly sprout up you know, it looked like, well, there's going to be a harvest here, but then there was no depth of soil. And so when the sun started shining, that, that would die out. And there was the thorny ground. Any seed landing there would get choked out by the thorns. This was the untilled ground. And then there was the good soil. And any seed landing on good soil, being rightly watered and plenty of sunlight would do what? What happened when seed lands on good soil? It would grow. But it didn't just grow. It did what? It multiplied. Right? From a single seed, a single kernel could come a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was actually sown, a multiplied harvest. Now, out of curiosity, I recognize that many of us in here are not farmers, but if you kind of can put your head in that headspace, uh, when you're sowing seed, is your goal to have a lot of fruit or no fruit? You want to have a big harvest or a little harvest? A big harvest, right. So where do you think the farmer would focus most of his energies? The good soil. Excellent. We're tracking. We're going the same direction here. So he'd focus most of his energies on good soil, although seed would get scattered over all the other soils. Out of curiosity, would a harvest happen overnight or would it take time? It would take time. That's right. So a farmer would sow sometime in October or November and then would not expect a harvest until April. Okay, so there would be a season of time, and then out of all of the soils, the four that are referenced, what is the only soil that produces fruit? The good soil. Now, as Jesus delivered this particular story, there are some on that particular day that left the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and all they had was a story about a farmer. That's all they heard. And they kind of made their way back into their everyday life which is why Jesus makes this statement. Look at verse 9. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That's one of those statements that should perk up your ears. 
Because when we read that, I'm like immediately, of, of course I have ears and a nose and mouth and teeth. And like, what is Jesus talking about? Well, what he's referencing here is the spiritual nature of our ears. You see, there are some who have ears that can hear, but they reject. And there are some who hear and receive. Anybody in here have teenagers? Yeah, there are times where I'm pretty sure everyone in our house hears us as parents giving very clear instructions. I feel it's clear. Do you think it's clear? I mean, I think it's clear. Like, sometimes I'm like, this is really clear instructions. But sometimes it's not heard clearly what's going on at that moment. Yeah, the ears, they stop working. Well, there's something that can spiritually ha I'm sorry, I, don't, I shouldn't pick on my kids. I love you. You guys are really good kids. So he no, they really are. I promise they're really good kids. Yeah, y'all listen most of the time. So we can operate that way as, as, as people, though. We can hear things and reject it. We can hear really good things, really solid spiritual things, and we can just flat out reject it. And we benefit not at all. Or we can hear really good, sound spiritual teaching, and we can apply it, and we can benefit from it. To which Jesus is saying, what kind of ear do you have? Like this morning, what type of ear do you have? So the disciples were concerned. Because Jesus starts telling all these stories, and they're, they're worried. They're like, they come up to Jesus in verse 10. They're like, hey, they're not going to understand. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you teaching in parables? People, people might not get it. Verse 10, his disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to the people in parables to which Jesus is going to provide the answer? And I believe there's three reasons why Jesus teaches in parables. And, and it sounds kind of strange on the surface, but I think it'll make sense as we expound the text be, below, below here. The first purpose is to keep people from understanding. Like Jesus intentionally taught in a way to keep the secret things of the kingdom secret. Look at verse 11. Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Who is the you in that? Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. I mean, think about how crazy that is. That as a disciple, the Lord entrusts to us the secrets of the kingdom. I mean, let's just blow your mind. What? We are entrusted with, like, literally the most valuable truths in the universe. But then he says, but they're not for them. And who he's referencing is those who have rejected Jesus, those who do not receive Christ. They do not receive the kingdom truths. And here's why. Jesus would never cast kingdom pearls before spiritual swine because they would only trample them underfoot. In verse 12, Jesus declares to his disciples, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. That's a kingdom principle right there. That to you who have Jesus, there's only more. And not only more, but there is an abundance. That in our spiritual life, we never exhaust the presence of, or the goodness of, or the revelation of God. That we have some, then we have more, and then there is an abundance. How many, well, I'm not going to ask for a show here. I actually am kind of curious. How many of you right now would say, yes, I am experiencing the absolute abundance abundance of God and his presence and his goodness. Amen. And, and how many of you are like, that's enough. I don't want any more. Okay. How many of y'all want more? Right? So when Jesus says you'll have an abundance, what he's talking about is abounding, like flooding the riverbanks. Like there's always more. But then listen to the spiritual poverty. Because those who have some will have more, and those who have more can have an abundance. But to those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away. Like, even the little bit of spiritual stuff that people have, even the, the little bit of life that they have, even that will be taken away. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they don't see, and hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand 
Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says this, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they barely hear, and with their, or their ears they barely hear, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And what Jesus is saying is, their hard heart is keeping them from the kingdom of God. He's, they're being kept from healing by their own hard heart. Did you know that Jesus will heal, spiritually heal, eternally heal anyone who comes to him? Anyone. Anyone who is willing to submit themselves, surrender themselves, humble themselves before a holy God and seek him in honesty and invite him all the way in. He will come in and he will heal you. But you will come to discover, here's another kingdom principle, the only person that's keeping you from the kingdom is you. The only person that can keep you from the kingdom is you. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your spouse's fault. It's, it's not the kid's fault. It's not the neighbor's fault. It's not the preacher's fault. The only person that keeps us from the kingdom is us. There's something that's crazy. Like the hardest substance on earth can be the human heart. I am so grateful that God in his grace, he can break through a hard heart, can he? Yeah, amen. Well, the first purpose of the parable was to keep people from understanding Jesus would not give his, his secrets, the kingdom secrets, to those who reject. The second reason is to get people to ask questions. You ever hear a story and you're like, I wonder what that was really about? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's like casting a lure out into the crowd, like, who's going to bite? You know, who wants to know more? Like, who's going to come up afterwards to ask, like, what did that mean? Like, I know there's something deeper here, and I want to know more. I love the passion and the excitement of somebody who's being called to Christ. Like, you can see it. Like, you can see the Holy Spirit moving in somebody's life because they start asking crazy questions. Like, so tell me more about Jesus. Or what do you all do at church? Or I heard, this, her, I heard this thing about God, and, and I was wanting to know more. And, and what's happening is, is they're getting hooked. They're, they're being led to ask questions, and that's one of the great purposes of the parable. And then finally, uh, what is the third purpose of the parable? Well, it's to reveal kingdom teaching to his disciples and kingdom in creative ways. Look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes. Whose eyes? The eyes of the disciples, because they see, and your hear, ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Did you know that what you possess today, the ancients scoured Scripture, prophecy, poetry, song, like everything they could get their hands on, everything they could listen to, like waiting for the day of Messiah to dawn. They were like waiting in anticipation. And for us, the revelation, like he has come, and we not only see of his arrival, we have his teaching and his truth, like the kingdom of God has been revealed to us today. Blessed. How many of y'all blessed today? Come on. How many of you are blessed today? How many of you are a disciple and a follower of Christ who have the kingdom of God and the truth revealed to you? How many of y'all blessed? Yeah. We need to redefine blessing. Okay? Because blessing is always equated to things. You want to know what the true blessing is? The kingdom of God is revealed to you. You, you possess literally the secrets of the kingdom in the person of Christ. And you know what? You don't just get some, you get more. And you don't just get more, you get an abundance. That, that should lead us to a little bit of worship and praise. So Jesus uh, teaches us now what the parable means. So the question is, what kind of ears do you have? And what kind of eyes do you have this morning? What kind of ears and what kind of eyes? Do you have ears that will hear and eyes that will see? Or will you have ears that will reject and eyes that will close? This parable will tell you why. 
And it's going to expose some stuff going on in your spiritual life that I believe you need today. And that was my prayer. As I, as I spent time outside this morning, I was like, Lord, I know that you're going to speak a word specifically to individuals because God the Father, he knows you individually. Just like your fingerprint is distinct and unique. And I believe he's going to speak to you uniquely through the revelation of this parable. So be attentive. Verse 18. Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. And, and that's where you go, oh, it never was about a farmer. And it never was about a field. And you're absolutely right. You see, the farmer in this particular parable is a preacher uh, or a person who declares the word. The seed itself is the declared word of God. It's scripture. The soils are the different types of persons who hear the scripture taught. And so Jesus walks us back through the parable, but now with the explanation. So the four types of soil are really the four types of people. Verse 19, or verse, yeah, verse 19. Jesus begins with the hard path. That is the hard-hearted person. Okay, so listen to this. When anyone... This could be any person hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. As you remember, the sower went out to sow, and all of the seed landing on the path got eaten up by what? By birds. You see, this is the person who hears the gospel, and they don't understand it. And it's not like it needs further explanation. They don't want to understand it. They don't believe it. They're not interested. There have been times where I'll be sharing the gospel with a person, and they give me that face. Um, you know that face you give that door-to-door -door salesman? You know, and you accidentally open the door, and you're like, oh, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Like that kind of face. And, and I can see it as, as I'm sharing the gospel. It's like, I, I appreciate your perspective. I appreciate what you believe, but I'm just not interested. Well, what's actually happening at that moment is the enemy is at work. And we're told that he's snatching away. And that word snatch, it, it, it actually is referencing a violent theft. He's holding that person hostage and stealing the gospel before it can break into their heart. This is the person who rejects Jesus and the gospel, and they're being violently ripped off. But I want to say this. Share the gospel anyway. Share the gospel anyway. There is no one so hard-hearted that they can't be reached with the gospel, even though a person doesn't want to hear it. I just recently read an article on Facebook. I, you know, how true are articles on Facebook? They're probably pretty solid, right? 100% of the time? Anyway, so that's where I get all my facts from. So I was reading Facebook, <laughs> and uh, there was a Satanist, the story of a Satanist who had come to faith. Any of y'all see this story? Yeah, and so essentially he had rejected Christianity, everything about Christianity, and he was like a pastor of the Satan church or whatever. Well, God broke into his life. See, he was being held hostage. And yet God absolutely overthrew the enemy through a hug. Because there was a Christian and a series of Christians that just loved him and would walk up to him and hug him. Here's the thing. Satan can't steal love. He just can't. He can't rip love off. It's something that breaks through. Every time we love somebody who's quote-unquote unlovable or doesn't want Jesus, a little bit of that ground gets busted up. There's times where we got to love that person. Like we look at them and they're like, well, they're on drugs and they're, they're drunk all the time. Love them anyway. Oh, they, they just, oh, you listen to them talk and they're just, they're just so foul-mouthed. Love them anyway. They keep they keep warming up their fish in, this, in, the, in the break room, in the microwave. <laughs> Love them anyway. Right? Who does that? I saw someone raise their hand. You're forgiven. You, you warm up fish, you've been forgiven. That person who cuts you off, love them anyway. That adult child that just like, 
I don't ever want to hear any more about your Jesus. I'm so sick of you talking to me about Jesus. Love him anyway. That neighbor was just always, you're just like, why can't you make your dog shut up? Why is it always barking? I hate that. Love him anyway. Because here's the thing. Love breaks through. And it's not your love. You're like, Lord, Holy Spirit, fill me. What is one of the, the evidences of Holy Spirit in us? Someone yell it out. What is one of the fruit of the Spirit? Like all of that stuff. We start walking in the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, people start going, there's something different about you. What is it? And I need Jesus. And what just happened was the enemy got disarmed. He's cast out and that person gets saved. Radical stuff. Share the gospel anyway. So the hard heart. Second type of soil is rocky soil. And we'll call this the shallow-hearted person. Matthew 13, verses 20 through 21, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. This is awesome. I love this stuff. Wow, this is Jesus' teaching. I love Jesus' teaching. Oh, this is the church. This is the coolest church. Check in, check in, check in. I don't want to be here. I'm going to be here every Sunday. I'm going to go get a new Bible. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to go. And, and I'm going to be all excited about it. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. Hey, where'd they go? When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is the person who gets all excited and then they're gone. I find it interesting that in the telling of this parable, more, uh, more time is dedicated to the discussion of the rocky soil than all the other soils. So I read that, I'm like, there's a chance this is probably the most common type of person who hears the word, which is why, by the way, I'm so deeply concerned with how shallow our churches have become. Because I think what's happening when we're so focused on entertaining people and putting these creative sermon series together, and I'll ask people, like, why do you go to this particular church? And they're like, oh, it's great. I just get my cup of coffee, and I just, like, sit back, and I just, like, watch the show, and it's like, it's good, man. And my kids, they, they seem excited about it, and I just go, and I can go home. And I'm like, whoa, that's deep. I mean, I don't say that. I'm like... Oh, and in my mind, I'm like, what has gone wrong with the church? This, where, this is where we used to come to study theology, and we would get into the scripture. But now it's like, oh, if we read more than three verses, I'm sorry, I just don't, I have this attention span problem. No, you've got a spiritual sickness. It's called shallow heart disease. And I can't listen, and I'm just, I can't focus, and I got so many other things. And I'm like, no, 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 that's a spiritual issue. And we've turned the church into like Broadway shows, into like these, these worship concerts. We call it worship, but let's be honest, it's just a concert. And that's why there's smoke spilling down from the top and smoke coming up off the stages and light shows, cut, and light, laser lights cutting through it. Why? It's to entertain you. We're still panning out the consequences of COVID, but here's the statistics. 50% of the church did not return. And by the way, the majority of churches that are quote-unquote growing today, they're growing because people are leaving other churches and going to the show, and the church has a better show. The church isn't growing in North America. The church is dying. Did you know that? No, I need you to hear that, church. The church is literally dying. We are literally being entertained to spiritual death. And there will be no church left for the next generation. I believe what will be fulfilled in our time, and I look at my seven-year-old, and this is what I believe. I believe by the time he's 30, the scriptures that talk about traveling from east to west and not being able to find a single place where the word is taught will be fulfilled. Because we just went, no root, no depth, got a little hot, burned away. Shallow soil. 
Third type of soil is the, the thorny soil. I'll call this the cluttered heart. The cluttered heart. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, you know, is already getting kind of personal. Now all of a sudden we're going to, anyway, let's keep reading. Choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is the person whose life is so cluttered with other things, they literally don't have room for Jesus. It's like all the different stuff we have to worry about, like there's the coronavirus and politics and economy and inflation and jobs and and retirement, and health, and like, what's the new Stranger Things season going to be about? I, I hope that there's a new Demogorgon, whatever that thing is, and, and who's Kim Kardashian taking a shower with, and what is Elon Musk texting about? And it's like, who cares? But we do. And, we're, and it's like a junk drawer, because God's Word just falls in. Something precious and valuable falls into a junk drawer. How many of y'all have a junk drawer? That's where stuff goes to die. <laughs> like, if I ask where something is and I'm told it's in the junk drawer, I'm like, I never needed it. <laughs> it's gone. But that's what happens to God's word when it falls into a cluttered life. It's gone. It just gets choked out. I would argue... I, I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm an expert in the field, but I think I'm kind of an expert when it comes to some of this stuff, that the largest percentages of Christians in the church fall into two categories, the shallow heart and the cluttered heart. And here's what's troubling. The contemporary church is catering to both. We keep it shallow. We'll work on your schedule. You don't like coming to the 11 o'clock service, we'll have a 9 o'clock service. Oh, you don't like coming on Sunday, we'll do it on Saturday. Oh, you can't come on Saturday, we'll do it on Friday. Oh, you can't come at all, we'll put it online. Oh, you can't do it online? Well, we'll go to, we're going to go to your house and we're going to set up and we'll do the service just for you. Oh, you can't do that? Well, how about this? Uh, how about we keep it simple and keep it real short? Because sermon's, sermon's too long, right? So like, let's not do 30 minutes, let's do 20 minutes, let's do 10 minutes. How about I just get up here and I just say, Jesus, we all go yay and we all go home. Like, let's keep it so shallow. And youth ministry, by the way, students, this is one of the more troubling trends in youth ministry. You are being trained to seek shallow. And that's why it's so important that you guys come with your Bibles open and you come ready. And you come to realize that not everything is about you. And I mean that in grace and love. Because everything really is about Jesus. And when we turn our hearts to him and we open the word and we allow God to speak to us, we start to experience the power of God in our life. And you're not dumb. I worry that some youth ministry is focused on almost talking to you like you're stupid. You're not dumb. You're just inexperienced. And you need to be taught and discipled and trained in the Word of God. All of us do. We need depth. It's also troubling to me. Um, that so much focuses on money. You know, I think one of the reasons why the prosperity movement is, is flourishing is because we're addicted to wealth. We're wealth addicts. And if we can, we can join our wealth addiction with Jesus, oh my gosh, then we can totally worship money. And God we trust slash give me the Benjis, right? We're being ripped off and deceived. And some of you may be like, oh, this is a little extreme, Chris. I mean, you're getting kind of heavy. How are, well, here's the thing. It's why there's so little harvest. You see, like bowls of plastic fruit, Christians can appear to be sort of fruitful on Sundays or Saturday or Friday or whenever they go or online. I guess you can look fruitful online. But then you go to them for real spiritual help. You go to the average Christian for real spiritual help and teaching, and nourishment. And here's often what you find. You will run into people who have no idea how to lead another person to Jesus. They've been in the church forever. They have no idea how to lead another person to Christ. Like literally, if a desperate soul was dropped into their lap and was like, I need Jesus. Please, somebody share Jesus with me. They would literally be like, uh, uh, what's Pastor Chris's phone number? There are so many Christians that can't expound just a little bit of Scripture to their kids. To be able to just take the Scripture, like, Daddy, what does this Scripture mean? I don't know. Go ask your mother. Oh. 
It used to be the great honor and privilege of a father to teach their kids their, the scriptures. To sit at the table and open up the Bible with the family. To disciple and to train. See, it took a father who sat under the teaching of the Word of God, who prioritized the church and prioritized scripture and prioritized the Christian life, and then they were able to disciple and train their kids to love their wives like Christ loves the church, to bathe their wives in the washing of the water of the Word, and wives holy, living an honoring life to Christ, opening up scripture with the kids. It's powerful, and we're being ripped off by that. Family's being ripped off. The enemy's just hunting and taking us out. That was where the, the training happened was in the home. I worry that there are Christians who can't open the Bible and even feed themselves. You know, when our boys were little, they would sit at the table like this. Feed me. That would be weird if I sat down at the table and my 15-year-old son goes, Daddy, feed me. I'd be like, dude, feed yourself. But that's what it's like in the church. So many Christians sit there with their mouths open like, feed me. I'm like, dude, feed yourself. You need to be able to open the Bible and study it for yourself. And I hear people say, I don't understand. You will notice that the only person who says they don't understand in this parable is the hard-hearted person. You can. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, yes, you can understand. And here's the thing, our generation is dying because we as Christians can't put down real roots and clear out the clutter. Jesus then turns our attention to the good soil. This is the fruitful heart. Like when I, when I study this, I'm like, okay, Lord, have your work in me. Like I want to be fruitful. Verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and they understand it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the person who hears the word and doesn't just listen but studies it. This week, one of my sons was like, I was reading this devotional and I had my notepad out and I was reading other scriptures and I was taking notes and I was like, that's, you got it. Keep doing that. Keep coming to the Word like that. Keep coming to the Bible studies with your Bibles open. I was with a group of men this week on Wednesday night. We were reading and studying out of the book of Judges. We had our Bibles open. We were studying. We were laughing. We were having a good time. But we were challenged through the Word of God. The ladies coming together, opening the Word. Students getting into the Word. See, what that is, it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of what's going on in the heart. It's like saying, yes, I want more because I am good soul. This is the person who lives a spirit-filled, Christ-centered life through the scriptures, who allows the Holy Spirit to till up the heart and allows the word of God to come in. And we start being fruitful. We start seeing God answer prayer. We start seeing and hearing him speak to us. We see him move in power. We start sharing Jesus with others, not because we have to, but because who else are we going to talk about? Who is greater than Jesus? And we start reading scripture. We like wake up in the morning. We're like... I wonder what's in the Word today. Man, I'm hungry. We start seeing God. We don't just attend church, we serve. So the question is, what is Jesus teaching us today? Well, there's four types of people who respond to God's Word four different types of way. There's the hard heart, the shallow heart, the cluttered heart, the fruitful heart. Only one is fruitful. So what kind of life do you want? What kind of example do you want to set for your kids, your grandkids? What kind of impact do you want to make in this life? Do you want to make a kingdom impact in this world? Do you want to live the multiplied harvest? You want to be fruitful? What better day to decide than now? To say July 17th. 2022. I'm putting, I'm literally saying, this is the day. No turning back. Like, I'm literally going to live it out. 
Put yourself and your family in places where they can, uh, can grow. Clear out the clutter of all those lesser important things that seem so important more than church, but there isn't something more important than Christ and his church. Daily grow spiritually, read scripture, pray, meet with other Christians. This is like hands raised, heart open, like more. I don't want just a little Jesus, I want more. I want an abundance, more of your presence, more of your goodness, more of you, God, in me so that you can move through me, so that you can literally do a work in this world and I can play a little tiny part of that. See, this is like this big, giant, like, hey, get in the game, church. This is your pastor saying, it's time. It's time to set aside all the things that ensnare, all the things that weigh us down and hold us back. We got our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for with the joy set before him endured the cross, and we, we run after Christ as hard as we possibly can. And we watch God move in power. Amen? All right. So let's, let's conclude here. What kind of ears do you have today? What kind of eyes? What kind of heart? What kind of soil? What kind of life? Lord God, we thank you for your scriptures. There have been some good words today, some challenging words. We're going to ask that this word, like seed, would be buried in our hearts. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you begin to water this word. I ask that it begins to send down roots and start to produce fruit in time. We believe that you are the God of the harvest, and we believe that you are the God who brings about not just a little bit of fruit in us, but multiplied fruit. And so we're going to take a posture before you as a church and as a people, and we're going to ask that you move in us in power. We're going to invite more of you in, and we're going to ask that, Lord, in your grace and in your goodness, you bring about the harvest through us. We will listen. We will see. We will surrender. And we will allow you to be God, and we will be your servants. That is our prayer as a church today. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so this, this morning or now this afternoon, I have a question for you. Uh, and I told you last week, no more heads bowed and eyes closed. If you today are ready to take your step with Christ and you're like, yes, I'm going to invite more of Jesus into my life and I'm going to give my life to Christ. If that is you, please stand up. Anybody here ready to really say, I'm going to live for Jesus? Okay. Anybody here that is ready to be baptized and is going to be baptized on July 29th? Who are you? Who's getting baptized? Please stand up. Okay? I want you all to come down here. Come down. Come on, Braden. Who else? Who else is being baptized on July 20, 29th? Come on down. Come on over here. Come on. Come on. Hi. Why don't you all come on up here? Why don't you all come on up here? Here, right over here. No, you're right up front. Come on. Come on, y'all. Come on up here. Who else? Who else is getting baptized on July 29th? So here, here's what's significant. Here's what you're witnessing. So you're seeing a group of believers ranging in ages. One Savior, one testimony, one faith. And on July 29th, they are going to publicly be baptized, which is a picture of, of being lowered into Christ's death and being raised to walk in new life. But it is also a reflection for some who are up here of the old life being washed away, amen? Yeah, going to live a new life. And for some, it's the beginning of the spiritual life. And it is also a picture of Holy Spirit coming down. Like Jesus, when he was baptized, he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God came down upon him. That is a picture of baptism. 
So this, this moment of spiritual significance where it's symbolic, but it's spiritual, and we're going to watch God move in power. And so we're going to pray over these who are making this testimony because I'm going to tell you the enemy hunts, and he hunts people that are making a real bold stand for the Lord. And then this is also for you who have been sitting in spiritual concrete. It's time for you to start taking spiritual steps. Watch other people's boldness and be encouraged by that and challenged by that in your own spiritual life to take those steps. So, Lord, we thank you uh, for these who are going to be baptized on July 29th. Lord, we're asking your blessings and your favor and your goodness over them. Lord, we're asking that you would ordain and absolutely bless July 29th. I pray, God, that you powerfully work through these individuals. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you breathe into them. I pray that you, you give them a new heart. And we pray for the families of the children who are being baptized. I pray, Lord, as, as families are having their children baptized, I pray that the families are also making a commitment to disciple their kiddos and you. And so, Lord, we ask anointing and a blessing and favor and goodness over them. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, you guys. Hey, go hang out down here. Yeah. All right, family, let's stand together. And if you have opportunity, come congratulate those who are going to be baptized. Encourage them. But it's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. No, no, you are loved. And now it's time, like, lavish love on one another, and let's go rock the city and the cities with the love of Jesus. Amen? All right, have a great week. Hey, if, if you're being baptized, I want to talk to you. If you're being baptized, come on up.